Welcome to No Filter, I'm your host Anna Kasparian and this show is gonna be bananas. I might upset some on the left because I'm about to defend Kevin Hart, but you should hear my case before you tune me out. Later in the show, we will revisit pharmaceutical drug prices and see whether or not Trump's attempt to make life-saving medications affordable for American people actually worked. Spoiler alert, didn't. And we're going to wrap up the episode with my favorite things. But I'm gonna give you a little taste right now of one of my favorite things. One of our stage managers, Craig Lowry, told me that the weirdest thing he ever got stopped for was eating chicken nuggets while he was driving. I thought that was strange too because a lot of people eat while they drive. But then he told me as he was reaching for the nuggets, he swerved and that's why the cop stopped him. And then the cop laughed because of the explanation and let him go. I just had to share that with you because it brought real joy to my heart. Now before we get to all the fun, I'd like to remind you about how you can help the show by making it more visible to the masses. Please leave a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. Leaving a rating helps to get No Filter featured and the crew here, including Craig, would be forever grateful if you did just that. Okay, now onto the show. We have all sorts of speculative conversations about how our lives are being negatively impacted by the internet and social media. Even though it may be hard to imagine what life was like before social media existed, the phenomenon is still relatively new. So it's no surprise that we're learning some pretty rough lessons as we go. Sorry, I was taking a selfie while shooting a Snapchat, while periscoping that Snapchat, while Instagramming latte art, while shazamming the weekend, while streaming Master of None, while retweeting George Takei, while saying this wins the internet, while still being hashtag so bored. Hammer? Hammer? Come on, man, don't make me look up from my phone. Does spending too much time on social media like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat actually increase loneliness and depression. Fake news is becoming more advanced and threatening societies around the world. Here in the US, Americans are creating fake accounts and pages on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media sites to further divide our country and spread false information. Why are our texts? Why are snaps? Why is everything filled with such garbage? There's just so much out there right now. I don't even think most people realize how much their brain has to handle. 400 hours of video uploaded to YouTube per minute. 500 million tweets sent per day. There's over 3 billion Snapchats sent per day. That's where all that hyperbolic news comes from. Teens are not hanging out as much with friends, in no rush to drive, dating less, having less sex, and getting less sleep. Does it make us depressed? Does it make us more informed? Is it being used for disinformation campaigns? Is social media ironically making us socially awkward in face-to-face interactions? Millennials happen to be the first generation of online guinea pigs. And yes, there are some serious consequences associated with online activity. Recently, some sad soul with the Twitter handle Anonymous Q leaked a nearly decade old video of Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez dancing to Listomania. Whoever posted the video actually thought that wholesome footage of Ocasio-Cortez having fun would undermine her credibility. It's as if she was an accomplice in a criminal act. But it turns out the only crime committed here was by the band Phoenix, which introduced that annoying tune to the world so radio stations could play it incessantly until people like me contemplated driving off a cliff. Anyway, the attempt to discredit AOC backfired because anyone other than a sad little killjoy would find the video endearing. 
But there have been countless public figures who weren't so lucky when others dug into their past. Which makes one wonder, how will content we posted online in our youth age along with us? Will those posts destroy our reputations? Better get a tweet out before I go dark for a few hours. About to see the new Kevin Hart movie. Just kidding, I'm white and went to college. Hashtag Baywatch movie. Hey, are you at dog backwards from Twitter? I am, are, are you a fan? You racist jerk! I hope you get foot and mouth disease! What the hell was that? Uh-oh. Wow, you are blowing up! Blowing up bad! <laughs> oh, look at that! Huffington Post just picked it up. Buckle up, buddy! Speaking of Kevin Hart, he recently stepped down from being uh, the host for the Oscars after some of his tweets from 10 years ago came back to haunt him. Some have argued that his posts were anti-gay. Hart was announced as the Oscar host last month and called the gig an opportunity of a lifetime. But within 48 hours of that announcement, he resigned after tweets surfaced of him using the word gay as a slur and an outcry over homophobic jokes he told in past stand-up routines. Every kid has a gay moment, okay? Every kid. But when it happens, you gotta nip it in the bud. You gotta stop it right then. Hey, stop! That's gay! Hart took to social media after stepping down to apologize for his remarks and apologized on air. I'm sorry, but either my apology is accepted or it isn't. Openly, I say I'm wrong for my past words. I, I say it. I said it. I understand that. In one of Hart's tweets dated January of 2011, he writes, quote, If my son comes home and tries to play with my daughter's dollhouse, I'm going to break it over his head and say in my voice, stop, that's gay. Look, obviously I don't agree with what he wrote and I was happy that he eventually apologized for it. Since then, Ellen has defended him and there's some chance that he could end up hosting the Oscars after all. But the debate about whether Hart's old tweets were homophobic soon turned into a debate about whether Hart apologized enough, or whether he apologized correctly, or whether he even meant the apology in the first place. I don't really want to get into that debate right now, but I do want to say that the whole notion of an apology is worthless if society demands it and then complains that it's not good enough. We can either choose to forgive people when they genuinely apologize, or we're going to have to get comfortable with characters like Trump who refuse to ever say sorry when they're wrong. Think about it. We don't really incentivize apologies these days. Anyway, while Hart's tweets were obviously wrong, I also think that it's important to consider the fact that society does change. People evolve along with it. The Supreme Court hadn't struck down state bans on same-sex marriage until June 26th of 2015. And even with gay marriage legalized, there are still red states throughout the US that refuse to extend anti-discrimination protections to the gay community. That's something worthy of attack. That's where the real injustice is. We even have fundamentalist religious groups who travel to countries like Uganda to spread hatred toward the LGBT community. We allow the far right to continue preaching this gross level of hatred while they simultaneously enjoy tax exempt status for being religious groups, meaning that we as Americans subsidize their hate. Most states still allow the torturous methods of gay conversion therapy for minors. 
But no one ever cares or talks about it. Words have impact, I agree, but actions matter more. While it's easy to find a celebrity, dig through his old social media posts, and try to destroy him over it, it's much harder to demand systemic change. I get that. But let's find a way to turn people like Kevin Hart into an ally rather than public enemy number one. And if you find yourself overfocusing on what someone posted online a long time ago, and I know I certainly have, I'm guilty of this, just consider what it would be like if the shoe were on the other foot. Is there anything that you've posted online when you were younger that could probably get you into a lot of trouble today? In this age of oversharing, it's likely you did. That post isn't necessarily indicative of who you are. It doesn't define your character. It might mean that at one time you had a lapse in judgment and posted something you shouldn't have. We need to give people the benefit of the doubt. Again, this is an area that I can admit I need to work on. We need to consider their actions and whether they've changed. I think that's a better way of determining whether someone is worth destroying. We'll be right back. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to No Filter. Remember when Trump claimed he was gonna be a fighter for lower pharmaceutical drug prices? It was something he included as part of his election campaign alongside all that hateful rhetoric about Mexicans. And even after he got elected, he kept talking about the insane cost of medicine in the United States and how he was gonna do something about it. And I've seen it for years and I never understood. Same company, same box, same pill, made in the exact same location, and you'll go to some countries and it would be 20% the cost of what we pay, and in some cases, much less than that. And I'd say, why is this? I never knew that I would be able to stand here before you and have a chance to fix it, and that's what we're doing, we're fixing it. That's called real life experience, I guess. We're fighting for lower drug prices, which will now be automatic. It will be automatic and very substantial. That video was from October 25th, 2018. And since it's been several months, I figured it would be fun to see if anything's changed. Has Trump succeeded in getting big pharma to lower drug prices? Well, much like every other declaration uttered from Trump's sphincter-like mouth, the exact opposite happened. Approximately 60 drug companies hiked prices during the first two days of this month, according to a new analysis by RX Saving Solutions and first reported by the Wall Street Journal. Some of the biggest increases hover around 10%, more than four times inflation. The average increase was 6.3%. I guess there weren't enough people dying in America from their inability to afford life-saving drugs. And I'm not exaggerating, there are actually people dying from the lack of affordability in the richest country in the world. Nicole Smith-Holt learned that the hard way when she lost her son Alec to outrageously priced medication that he could not pay for. My son died because he could not afford his insulin. Nicole Smith-Holt's son, Alec, was 26. He had just moved out of his parents' home and was starting a life of his own. The hardest part is every time I tell the story, it's like reality slaps me in my face that my son is no longer here. That boy out here is no. Alec was a type 1 diabetic, someone who needs to take insulin every day to survive. But turning 26 meant his parents' insurance would no longer cover the cost. That amount of money was $1,300. $1,300 for a month's worth 
of insulin. Insulin and supplies. And what she says Alec didn't tell her was that he was struggling with that cost. He'd started trying to ration his insulin to make it last longer. It wasn't enough. He died after falling into a diabetic coma alone in his apartment. Tragic stories like this play out in America every single day, where, according to the CDC, as many as 40 million Americans struggle to afford the medicine they need to stay alive. Just how do pharmaceutical companies respond to these tragedies? By continuing to raise their prices. This year, Pfizer is expected to increase prices for 41 products in mid-January, and Novartis plans to increase list prices for 14% of the medications in its U.S. portfolio in 2019. Just to give you some specific examples of how much these prices have gone up, 7T Pharma's Zingo, and that's a, a product that's meant to numb skin prior to drawing blood, will increase by 133.4%. Hikma Pharmaceuticals uh, drug to treat high blood pressure will increase by 30.1%. Also, Hikma's ketamine product, uh, it's a quick-acting anesthetic, will increase by 20%. The numbers speak for themselves, but despite the overwhelming evidence that shows drug prices increasing, members of Trump's administration keep taking credit for lowering prices that simply don't exist. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar was quoted as saying, the president's blueprint for lower drug prices is working. Drug prices are coming down and American patients are going to see their savings in their pocketbook. Yeah, hate to break it to you, Alex. Americans haven't seen any of those savings, just like how they didn't see the benefits of those massive tax cuts for the wealthy. You can keep arguing that the sky isn't blue, that it's fuchsia, but eventually those pesky facts will catch up to Trump and maybe even his supporters who don't seem to care how many times the president flips them off by lying to them. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. It's time for my favorite things. And to be honest with you, I've already shared one of my favorite things, and that's Craig's story about eating nuggets while driving. But I'm gonna share more. First up, impeaching this mother effer. Recently, freshman House Democrat Rashida Tlaib was caught on tape, caught on tape, saying that Dems are going to, quote, impeach the mother effer. She actually said the word. Uh, now, the mother effer, of course, is Donald Trump. In response, Republicans like Kevin McCarthy cried and cried about the lack of civility. But where were Republicans when Trump said much worse? Do I even have to repeat the greatest hits? We all know what he likes to grab women by and which holes he compares certain countries to. There is an insane double standard when it comes to civility and overall behavior among figures in American politics. While Republican men get away with uttering some of the most insulting and uncivil statements about their political opponents, politicians on the left rarely get away with using mild criticisms. And when someone on the left uses a curse word, <gasps> roll out the fainting couch, Republicans just can't believe it. What do I even say to the situation? I mean, really, can I just respond with their tired and true BS lines spouted over the last two years like it's just locker room talk? Or what if I said she talks like a regular person? 
That's part of her appeal. Would that line work? Because by the logic Republicans have set out in defense of Trump, Rashida Tlaib should be their favorite politician in the history of politicians. I feel like I'm dignifying their fake reverence by actually responding to it. But it's also my responsibility to fight these fights. So here goes. Yes, Rashida Tlaib and Donald Trump both have said bad words, naughty words. We've all said bad words. Don't lie, you know you have. But the difference between Trump and everyone else is that his horrible words are used to vilify people based on where they were born and to brag about sexual assault. Congresswoman Tlaib, on the other hand, said the F word in reference to a man who has admittedly obstructed justice, violated the emoluments clause, and put children in cages. He's currently throwing an inherently racist tantrum over his stupid border wall. And his shutdown took food off the table of 800,000 working class Americans during Christmas time. He's threatening to continue this shutdown in a climate where 40% of adults can't even afford a $400 emergency. I'd say his actions are way more crude and lacking in civility than Rashida Tlaib's F-bomb. Conservatives don't really care though. It's just like the AOC dancing video. They don't care about decorum or civility or whatever they're preaching about. They're looking for any possible excuse to write off progressives, to not take us seriously. You know why? Because they're scared. They're losing power, not just in these, this election or the next, but forever. And you know what? They should be scared. Next up, one more thing about the AOC dance video. I know, I just can't drop it. I love that Republicans would even try to make fun of the way anyone else dances. Is any Republican in the history of Republicans good at dancing? The answer is no. About a decade ago, George Bush danced with the West African Dance Company, borrowing moves he seemed to have learned aboard a cruise ship. I mean, what is, I just, I, just, I can't, I can't. Tom DeLay went on Dancing with the Stars, remember that? He's actually not that bad, I gotta keep it real, <laughs> I gotta keep it real. And perhaps the cringiest of them all, in 2007, the cast of the show Whose Line Is It Anyway hosted the radio television correspondence dinner. They ad-libbed a rap for political mastermind Karl Rove, who himself improvised some dance moves I will never forget. Tell me what is your name? MC Rove. Crossing his arms, he's rapping and a chilling and a showing his charm. He will do it, but without fail. Get out his gun, cause he's shooting quail. That man will never stop. Look at him jumping up a daughter ready to hop. Oh man, I, f I forgot how bad that was. Okay, for those of you listening to the podcast version of the show, I can only describe his dance moves as. 70 year old, three year old, if that makes any sense. Like a giant old baby hopping around. Because although he's old enough to collect social security, he looks like he's only recently discovered how to move his body. That's what the architect of a decade of American politics looks like when he dances. So let's not rush to judgment with videos of how political figures bust moves. And finally, I love the Fox News opinion pieces that bubble up on my newsfeed. Fox recently published a particularly hilarious one called Marijuana Legalization Debate Prompts a New High in Democratic Hypocrisy. Wow, real clever there. A writer, 
or the writer, I should say, a former Bush administration official, argues that if you believe in climate change, you should be against weed. He writes, quote, if you had a nickel for every time a Democrat used arguments about science in discussions about climate change, you'd be rich. However, the big pot legalization crowd willfully ignores decades of scientific research that provides clear and convincing evidence that frequent recreational marijuana consumption has a range of lasting negative health consequences. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. First, he puts the word science in quotes. That's a great start. Also, he's criticizing Democrats for using arguments about science in discussions about climate change. I'm sorry, bud. Uh, those are the only arguments anyone should make. Third, that thing about decades of scientific research is wrong. According to NPR, conclusive evidence about marijuana's positive and negative medical effects is hard to come by. And why? Well, the Federal Drug Enforcement Agency's designation of the drug as a sub Schedule One substance entails so many restrictions that it has been difficult for researchers to do rigorous research on marijuana. So in other words, these guys have stigmatized marijuana so much that we aren't even allowed to study it to a point where there is a consensus. So you can run and tell that. All right, special thanks to all the people who made this show possible. Jesus Godoy, Skip Velaco, Bart Kyle, Craig Lowry, the Chicken Nuggets guy, Edwin Umania, Sophie Sai, Brett Ehrlich, Arthur Aguirre, Mary Ignatova. I love you guys, thank you for allowing me to do this show and putting it together for the audience and for everyone who's listening and watching. I wanna thank you again. You can leave us a five star rating wherever you get your podcasts. That would really help us out, please help us get featured. And real quick before we go, I just wanna thank everyone who signed up as a TYT member by going to tyt.com slash Anna. I was in a host member sign up competition and I was neck and neck with Jenk Uger, who's actually the founder, CEO and lead host of this network pretty much. And um, thank you for letting me beat him. Uh, it was a fantastic moment. In fact, uh, he was, I feel like he was getting so embarrassed by it that I had to stop clowning him about it. But either way, you guys gave me the opportunity to give my boss a hard time over the fact that I kicked his ass. You did that for me, so thank you so much. <laughs>